Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, my name is Ian Hayden-Smith, and I'd very much like to welcome you to this BAFTA Life in Pictures with Dame Kristen Scott Thomas. First of all, congratulations, all of you, on making it here today. Um, I'm never very good with maths, but as far as I've been able to calculate, um, Kristen Scott Thomas's performance as Clementine Churchill in The Darkest Hour is her 60th um, credit in a feature film. And that's just part of a body of work that includes television drama and also acclaimed stage performances that has rightly seen her championed as one of the finest actors of her generation. She's just a rare feat of being as fated in French language cinema as she is in English film productions. And she has been nominated for an Academy Award for four BAFTAs, she's won one. She's the recipient of four Evening Standard Awards, a European Film Award, an Olivier, along with four other nominations. She's also been recognized by the Césars, along with the Lumière and Globe de Cristal Awards. In 2005, she was awarded the Chevalier de la Légion d'Honneur in France, and in 2015, she became Dame Commander of the Order of the British Empire. Besides the welter of recent performances that she's given, she's also preparing to direct her first feature, an adaptation of Elizabeth Jane Howard's The Sea Change. And of the roles that she's played, she said, I don't want to be a bouncing board for men to flex their muscles and look brave and courageous and understanding while I just look bleary-eyed in the background. Please welcome Dame Kristen Scott Thomas. I noticed you just skulking in the doorway yeah. and looking. I want to start with a story that might be apocryphal um, of you being what does around. That mean? Um, <laughs> not entirely true. Oh. oh, plenty of those. You're being around 19 years of age, um, studying teacher, teacher training at the Central School of Speech and Drama, and wanted to appear in a production of that Scottish play. And you were told by someone that you shouldn't because they didn't think you were very talented. And if you wanted to act, perhaps you should go to an amateur dramatic yes, society. This is so correct. In the course of the last 20 odd years or so, have you, have you bumped into that person? No, I think at she's all? dead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm on the, uh, they've, they've engraved my name on one of the, the steps there, which is. Rather pleasing. So, moving on from that moment in time, um, <laughs> I, I actually let's let's move. Actually, on. seriously, it was incredibly upsetting and difficult yeah. because I dreamt of doing this all my life. I drummed up enough courage at nineteen, I think I was eighteen. I can't remember um, to actually sort of commit my idea to somebody else, and had had a meeting with somebody from the. I mean, lots of the teachers were encouraging me and everything, and. And then just to you know, be told, you know, forget it, you're rubbish. It was really quite difficult. But then it wasn't the first time. And it, I mean, it wasn't the last time I'd be told forget it. I suppose it was a good way of training for being an actress, because you hear that quite a lot. But you did something quite remarkable. You, some people might give up. Some people might say, OK, I'm just going to go to another drama school. You went off and worked in France. And then you went to study acting at NSAT. So you actually went to another country to study <laughs> acting, which is, is more than yeah. a, a minor challenge. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I just, I think because I felt so sure that I was rubbish, having been told I was rubbish, I thought that they wouldn't notice how rubbish I was if it was in a different <laughs> language. <laughs> and actually, it's worked really well. <laughs> um, I've, I've often read when you talk about this period that you said there was a teacher there that inspired you. At, at, uh, at school in France? Yeah. Who oh, was yeah, that? definitely. He's called Marcel Bozonnet. He's a theatre actor um, who subsequently became the head of the Conservatoire National, and then he became the... Uh, I can't remember the title exact of it, but he's the, the administrateur de la Comédie Française. So he, he... And I was his first... one. I was a pupil in his first sort of bunch of pupils, his first year of teaching, so... We, 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 were, we did okay. So moving on from there, having graduated, did you initially feel that you wanted to focus solely on theatre 
or was it just whatever acting that you could Yeah, no, I didn't. I wasn't interested in film at all. I remember being bitterly disappointed when people would say, oh, you should, you should really, you should make movies. I'm like, oh, God, no, I don't want to make movies. I want to be on the stage. I want to, I want to be... I want to be a proper actress. This is clearly warming you to a BAFTA audience <laughs> by saying this, but no. Well, those were the days when I... I anyway, I thought, it, I thought differently. I hadn't, I hadn't yet become a movie sort of lover. And living in France was a fantastic opportunity, especially living in Paris, because it really is heaven for people who like films. Yeah. Because there are films on... There are cinemas everywhere, and they show all sorts of funny things, um, and you don't have to schlep across, across town to go and see some film that hasn't been shown since 1956, because it'd probably be, be shown in a, in a theatre much nearer. You know, it's, it's, it's great like that. And your first... Um work for film or television. First, it was the French TV series, I believe, The Investigations of Commissioner Maigret. <laughs> you really are going back. I know. We're, we're, we're going to move forward, don't blonde worry. hairdresser. And I still get 25 euros a year in um, royalties from that. <laughs> Dinner's on you. Um, and then you fold it with uh, Miss Dral's Daughter, um, one of yep. the many TV series um, th from that period. Um, and then Prince came along and under Cherry Moon. Yeah. Um, what was the experience of working on that like? Well, it was the first time I'd ever really done a proper film. I mean, when I, in a, uh, you know, with a, with, a, with a full crew and really important people everywhere, and, uh, and I was treated in, a, in the way they treat leading actresses, which was very strange to me, you know, given cars and hotel rooms. I'd never been in a hotel before I did that film. Um, so it was all... It was all sort of new and, and of a huge experience. To be, and to be working with somebody who was, at the time, a kind of living god and sort of pop music. You know, he was so popular at the time. Um, it was very strange. It was very sort of strange. And I was learning my craft all at the same time, you know, knowing that I had to do the same thing twice. And, and if you cut your arms like that, then the next take, you can't do it like that. And all these things that I had to sort of pick up on the way. Um, and my acting is appalling. However... Anyway, please don't comment. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not commenting. However, it did earn you your first nomination for a Golden it? Raspberry. I don't, oh, which which you, you. you lost thanks to Dom DeLuise and Haunted Honeymoon. Oh, that's um, um, that year. <laughs> but shortly after that, you won your first of four Evening Standard Awards um, for Most Promising Newcomer in Handful of Dust. Yeah. And I'm just... I know people talk about for Weddings and a Funeral, which we'll come to shortly, as a, as a major breakthrough. But I remember seeing that film when it came out and was stunned by your performances. And the three main performances are incredibly powerful. And I just wonder what, what the impact of that film was for you at the time. It was, it was just so um, important. It was, it was incredibly important to me to play that character. I think how, how it works for me is I'm... I'm less concerned with the end result and whether the film is success or not, um, as I am with just doing it. That's the bit I like. Um, and doing, playing Brenda Last was quite a revelation. Um, because having to play such sort of narcissism um, and sort of ju somehow justify and, and, and make her believable and yet so wrapped up in herself that you, she could have become very incredibly unlikable, but you have to, something about her, you have to stay with her, you have to follow her through the film. So that was quite a challenge, and it was very exciting for me. I loved doing it. And also, you know, the whole thing was so brilliant. I mean, I was a huge Evelyn Wall fan anyway, so, and working with Charles Sturridge was a great beginning. And at that moment in time, um, what was your approach with roles that you were being offered? Were you quite picky? Or were you... Well, were I wasn't getting offered anything. <laughs> well, I think I begged Charles to hire me for that. Yeah, within a couple of years, you appear opposite uh, Hugh Grant in Bitter Moon. Um, there were quite a few roles that you I played in I that period. I begged Polanski for that, too. Um, <laughs> I did quite a lot of begging. Um, yeah, I did, I did a lot of television in the, in the gap yeah. um, between uh, A Handful of Dust and Bitter Moon. Um, and got better about keeping my arms in the same place. <laughs> and um, I loved doing Bitter Moon. I mean, I'd always wanted to work with Polanski. And this part came along, and it, 
I was really, really worried about it, though, because he, he didn't say anything to me for about a week. He was just, just sort of nodded and grunted when it, when it was my, when my takes were over. So I thought, well, I'm, she's right, I was rubbish. I mean, she was right, I am rubbish. And, um, and then he, I, I sort of said, he said, what's the matter? And I said, well, you never say anything to me. It's awful. I don't know. And he said, no, because you're doing it right. Just relax. <laughs> so that was my first sort of lesson in not taking it all too... Not, not seriously, but personally, I think. And over time, has your attitude to relationships with directors changed? Do you, do you prefer to have a lot of conversation in advance, or do you like the freedom of being able to interpret the role as you see it first? Well, I think it depends on, on who you're working with. I mean, I, I've, I've recently worked with um, some people who had such a great relationship with Sally Potter or Joe Wright, or the chap I've just finished working with on um, on this French film I've just finished yesterday, the day before, uh, where there is, of course, this conversation, but it's not. I, I don't feel, I don't feel sort of m the need to be manipulated anymore. I feel far more generous with them. I think that's just age and maturity. You know, you just somehow relax into it and don't feel so worried about revealing too much or or being seen. I don't feel worried about being seen anymore. I feel that I can just play the part without having to tell everybody what I'm really like. One of the things that we've become so used to now is, is going to see you in a French film and an English film. Um, earlier in the career, I think I, I recognized you more as an English actress just because the French films didn't travel as much. Um, how easy was it for you to navigate this course of, of starring in a French film and then coming in starring in English? Was it, was it just as easy then as it is now? Or? Um, y yes, it's all, I've always been, I've always sort of balanced both. What happened, how I got into the French thing was because after the, the disaster that was under the cherry moon, when everyone promised you're going to be a star, and I believed them, uh. <laughs> um, uh, then I, I decided I actually didn't want to stay in Los Angeles, and I didn't want to follow that road, and I didn't want to be in showbiz, and I didn't want that, and I wanted to go back and back to Europe and... and and make the sort of films that I enjoyed watching rather than the ones that I didn't enjoy watching. So I had to start from scratch. So I went back to Paris and then got asked to do an, a Swiss film, actually, called La Méridienne, I think, um, which was in Cannes and did very well. And, and so it sort of went from there. And I would, end up, I would do sort of a French film and an English TV show, and then I'd do a French film. I did a lot of TV, as I said earlier, um, but, and French films. And... Never French TV. No. Yeah. One of the French films that um, you appeared in in 94 was An Unforgettable Summer, in which you also spoke Romanian. Yeah. And I think, is it true that you were expecting to be dubbed? Yes. And then you saw the film and it was actually... And it was actually my voice. Uh, yes, that was, that was amazing. That was, I remember telling... I remember telling um, Mike Newell that I was going to do that, and he, he was fascinated that I should be making a film in a totally foreign language. Um, and it was. I mean, it was a huge adventure. I had somebody... Uh, uh, Eugene Ionesco's daughter would come around to my house for six weeks every day and go over and over and over the screenplay with all these really complicated pronunciations. And I just learned it like a parrot, basically. Um, and then got to the set and was working with these amazing actors. Um, and this incredible director, Lucien Pantelier. I don't know if you saw The Oak. Has anyone seen The Oak? Um, his, his films are really quite special. Um, very, very powerful and kind of disturbing. But um, this man was very, very demanding and difficult and a proper European, Eastern European film director, you know, shouted and everybody worshipped him, drank a lot, this kind of thing. Um, and, uh, you know, you cannot work today, you are too ugly, that sort of thing. I nice. loved it, absolutely loved it. And I saw the film the other day, actually. I watched it again, and it's absolutely fantastic. It's a fantastic film. I'm really proud of it. And not just because I speak a funny language, but because, because it's, it's, it's just the most beautiful film. I thought um, Roger Ebert um, summed it up perfectly when he said, this is the most Joseph Conrad adaptation not based on a Joseph Conrad story. It's an incredible piece of filmmaking, but in the same year... Uh, you appeared in Four Weddings and a yeah. Funeral. And I, I'm always curious about a film that has become iconic in some way of what the reaction of the people involved in it was when they first read the script. 
Um, well, I just, I just thought it was fantastic. I thought, I, I laughed. I thought it was really, it was just the first time I'd ever read anything like that. And I think it was the first time most of us had seen anything like that. And the talent of Richard Curtis is extraordinary. Um, and this, uh, this role, it was just was screaming at me, you know, you have to play this part. Um, so I went up for the audition, and I don't think I did very well, and Duncan Kenworthy didn't want to hire me. And then he changed his mind, <laughs> and, um, you know, it went pretty well. I think it did. Uh, it was fun making it, because we were all sort of shoved in together, and it was a very low budget, and, and we, there was a sort of feeling that something really exciting was happening. Um, but, you know, we were all grumbling like crazy about being spending hours waiting for people to stop shooting party scenes and things. You know, it's one endless party scene. The film was an enormous success. Um, you received a huge amount of acclaim, critical, uh, critical acclaim. You won a BAFTA. How much did things change? Enormously. Uh, um, yeah, people started actually wanting me without me having to go and beg. <laughs> uh, no, it, was, it, it really did change everything. Um, and I, I was asked a lot to do, I mean, what happens is that you'd make a film that's very successful and then people want you to repeat the same thing over again so, um, because they know it works and then they'll, you know, they'll get their money's worth or whatever. So um, that's what happened. I got asked to play a lot of rather less good Fiona's um, and so I had to fight against it, so which is why I went off to do that film in Romania. And also following that, it, it's always interesting, I think, to, to look at a landmark moment, um, whether it's a director or an actor's career, and see what they did afterwards. And in 1995, you appeared in a French production, Belle Epoque, Robert Lepage's The Confessional, oh, playing yeah. the assistant to Alfred Hitchcock, yeah. um, Pierre Grange's Mayday, um, and then you were a superb... Lady Anne in Richard Longcrane's production of Richard III. And it, it strikes me, all that within the space of a year, that there is this conscious attempt to say, OK, I'm drawing a line under fee, mm. and I am going to do something else just to show you my range. I don't think it was just to show, me, show anyone my range. It was more just because just, you just get bored of doing the same. You just don't, you've done it. Don't want to do it again. Um, there are some times when you go back and revisit characters and at, you know, at a different stage in one's life, um, and theirs, obviously. Um, but I, I know it's just not fun doing the same thing again. Um, so it wasn't so much about showing off. I mean, so I've, I have to admit, I have done some roles to sort of see if I could do it. Um, uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we'll come to thinking that. thinking how awful that will be. But anyway, um, uh, and... Yeah. But no, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't to sort of flex my muscles. It was really, it was really just through frustration and boredom, <laughs> wanting to keep going and try different things. And um, yeah. I'm just, uh, I, don't, I, I don't, I guess it's not a case, I, I, was, I wasn't thinking about showing off. I, I just think it's, it's the challenge, I guess. It's more about showing a range than, than just taking on material that, for instance, the English patient, which if I'm correct in my research on this, the role of Catherine Clifton is something that you, you chased after. Yeah, yeah, I, I really did on that one. But that was, that was, that was another, another funny thing, because I'd read the book, and I was completely and utterly obsessed with the book. And I heard there was going to be a film about it, and I just wanted to be involved in making it. And I even said to um, Duncan Kenworthy at the time, um, I said, you know, I would do anything on that film. I just, I'll be a runner. I don't care. I just want to be part of making that story into a film. Um, and I sort of thought I'd be rather good as Hannah. Um, and then I got the script and said, would you read for Catherine Clifton? I thought, I'm not Catherine Clifton at all. They've got this completely wrong. Look, Fiona, four weddings, miserable. Um, you know, I can't play this character. Um, but, and then I went up for it and, and, we, and we did a... Um, I met Anthony, Anthony Minghella, and we had a disastrous lunch where I explained to him why it would be a terrible idea to hire me, and, um, and then I wrote him a letter, and I signed, I thought I was very pleased with myself, I signed the letter, um, something, 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 I am K in your book, see, because that's what she says to him. 
So then he, gave, then he gave me an audition. And doing the audition was, I've never had so much fun in my life as doing that audition. We turned up in this strange, I can't remember what the building was, but, um, and I bumped into another actress on the stairs and she shot daggers at me. But I smiled and walked up. And I was very, very late, because it was an, an evening when I was getting, anyway, whatever, that's boring. But uh, I was very, very late because I couldn't get a cab. I arrived anyway, um, and there was Rafe, and I'd never met Rafe before. And we just sat down and, and read it. And when we looked up from the thing, and there was Anthony just beaming. And he said, oh, can we do it again? <laughs> and so we started again. And it was such fun. And it just felt so brilliant and right. And it was just obvious that this, this should happen. And then, of course, they lost all their money because they found out, because they didn't, the, peop the powers that be didn't want me. Um, and then Harvey took over. And we look at it now as, as, as this piece of epic cinema, but, but, but to watch the film again, what's remarkable about it is how intimate it is. What was it like actually working on it? Did it feel like an incredibly expansive production? It did in the way that everything was broken into sections. So, for instance, all the stuff in the monastery was shot in a completely different place, time. I had nothing to do with any of that. So it was like one film was being made in the monastery with Kip, with the patient, with Hannah. And then there was another film that was being made in the desert, um, which was an extraordinary experience. Shooting that there was wonderful. I mean, couldn't, couldn't think of anything better. And the words were so good in that film. I mean, the dialogue was so good. And the, the, it was just so beautiful, such a beautiful adaptation. Um, so it was, but, so, but you didn't get the feeling that you were doing something I felt that I, I, I was convinced that it was going to be really important for me, this film, because I was so emotionally attached to the role and so emotionally attached to the story, as, as so many other people were. The number of people who've come to me afterwards since then and said, but you know, I, I actually am Catherine Clifton. <laughs> so many people have said this to me. Um, and so it is something that really, really touches people. And it, that's what it did for me. But I have the advantage. I'm an actress, and I can go and do it. Um, <laughs> But so, so it didn't feel like we were doing something huge. It felt very, uh, we did feel like we were alone and trapped in the middle of nowhere in the desert. As much as I love this film, and I also love uh, The Talented Mr. Ripley, I always have this sense of sadness watching these films mm. because I think Anthony Minghella was truly one of the great poets of, of British cinema. And I, I think you can draw a line from Michael Powell, what he did to, to Mengele, and it's, it's, it's very timeless, that's the thing. Yeah, it still works really, really well. We saw it last year, was it last year? Um, the 20th anniversary, there was a big screening of it in, in Rome, and it, it's, it's still just as powerful, it's still just as moving, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's proper, proper laster. Proper cinema, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the period following this uh, saw you not necessarily move to Hollywood, but, but appear in bigger Hollywood films with some fantastic directors. Um, that lasted a couple of years, and I know you've gone on record before saying that the, the way of making films in Hollywood isn't necessarily mm. um, something that you like, but, but while it lasted in that period, did you enjoy it? No, I didn't. Um, I didn't like the size of it size of everything, it was all too big, it was all too many people, too many people to please. You never really knew who you were working for. <coughs> am I working for the director? Am I working for the producers? Am I working for who? The publicists? Who am I actually working for? And I found that quite disconcerting. Um, having said that, it was pretty fantastic to be working with Sidney Pollock or Robert Redford, who's the most fantastic um, actor's director. So I was, I was aware of how, and I enjoyed that bit, but it was just the whole sort of thing about it all. You know, I prefer 15 people than Shepperton or something, you know. <laughs> uh, Shepperton doesn't exist, but anyway. Um, Would you be... The Isle of Man. Does anyone go to the Isle of Man anymore? They've made a few films in no, the Isle of Man. Yeah. Um, good tax breaks, apparently. Right. Different subject. Um, <laughs> would you be tempted back 
Actually, I always I have this. My attitude has changed so much since then because yeah. I, I've just grown up, and it was very difficult at the time because, from a personal point of view, my my heart was in Europe. You know, that's where my family was, and it was very difficult for me to be chasing this Hollywood mirage um, in all by myself. You know, the other side of the world for months and months and months at a time because there was no budget restriction or didn't seem to be. They just, oh, should we, should we finish at lunchtime today? Yeah, let's finish at lunchtime. This is a really great place. I want to go and try it out. It closes at whatever. So we'd finish. We'd not stop shooting before lunch and everyone would go off and have a wonderful lunch. And it was the most extraordinary thing for me because I've only done these really, really struggling little films with no money and suddenly there was, there was a di completely different attitude, which I find really, really frustrating um, and so it was. It was diff. It was difficult for me, and I didn't. Um, I regret that now because I think I, if I had been more present, focused, and didn't have half my brain, the other side of the world, and my heart, the other side of the world, then maybe I would have been able to, you know, function better as an actress and as a sort of professional entre guillemets. Um, but you know, it was a difficult time. So, but you know. I did those films, and I, I learned a lot from them, and and and, um, and I'm very glad I did them. The only reason I ask that is that the um, for years you've been at the top of my list of the potentially best Bond villain that we could have. I think you would be just fantastic playing that. Just just if you ever get asked, you have support for that. Yeah. Um, Staying with another director, an American director, Robert Altman, you worked with on Gosford Park, and every time I watch that film, I always feel there's this sense that someone is trying to make an anti-period period piece. Yes. And what was the experience like oh, working on that with him? That was heaven. That was absolute heaven. I'll never forget the way he, because he was very tall, wasn't he? And he had these amazing long hands, and he had two cameras. And he would stand there, towering above everybody, and direct these cameras. And he would push people around and shove the camera operator and get, make him go over there. And then the other one, he'd, he'd make sure the dolly was get, You know, it was, it was fantastic how he did all that, all the movements with the camera. And how, such a technician. And then, um, and with us, he would give us all a little lecture in, in the beginning. And then he'd walk, look around the room and he'd say, one of you is the missing, is the weakest link which is always really reassuring when you're with all these, these dames and knights and what have you. Um, uh, and it was just, but he was so clever with, with dialogue and so clever with um, characterization. And, and he, was just, he was just a really, really brilliant director, much missed. And at the same time, you went back to France and appeared on stage in Berenice. Is that the same time? Uh, yep, yeah, 2001. Gosh. And was, it's interesting because I, I remember reading at the time um, some journalists saying, oh, you've turned your back on Hollywood. You've gone to appear on stage. This is it. You've given I love all these dramatic together. statements know, that one makes. Isn't it? Um, but did you feel this sense that you had this calling that you wanted to go back after perhaps spending long times in the trailer in, in, on Hollywood productions to do something that was perhaps a little more... Yes, I wanted to sort of get grounded again and get, um, get back in my business, which is you know, being an actress rather than being a film star, so to speak. Um, and, yeah, I, I felt that was very, 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 very important to me. In fact, I remember... Actually, now I remember the... Um, when I learned that I was going to do Berenice, I whispered that to somebody on the set of Gosford Park. And then I stepped out of my trailer and suddenly there were like, all these actors came tearing out of their little two-way two -way kind of things. I said, so you're gonna do Racine, are you? Where are you gonna do Racine? And it was all like, they were all really, really excited about the fact, all these actors, you know, because they're proper actors. They want to be on stage, they want to be doing Racine. And then in 2004, you came over to the UK and appeared on stage for the first time in 2008. Yeah. You yeah. received an Olivier for your performance in The Seagull. Uh, was you, obviously, you acted on stage in France for quite a long time. No, 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 I hadn't. I had you not. No, 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 no I'd done one play before I did Under the Cherry Moon, literally just before, and then I did um, Berenice, and that was it. I've no, and I've never acted in French again on stage. So 
I don't know what that means. But, um, but I always find that when you when you come off a play, it's much better to make a you're much better at doing the filming. So I mean, I mean, people have to tell you to talk a bit quieter. <laughs> Sometimes I get reprimanded for being too, you know, expansive. But um, but I find you know because your muscles are really your acting muscles are all warm and you know you're you, you you're ready. Everything's firing away up there. Um, so it's it, it's it's always much more fun doing a film when, when you've just done and finished a play. It's interesting that, thinking about you starring in The Seagull um, in 2008. Um, one of my favourite performances of yours around this time that you were you were appearing on stage was in Paul Schrader's The Walker. Oh yes, I like that film. Which is is wonderful, and it, it, it's interesting because you could look back to the Lauren Hutton character in American Gigolo and their sort of yeah. similarities mm. between the two roles. Uh, just in, and more in terms of what happens to the character as opposed to the actual performance mm. and the world that they live in. And I was just curious about the conversations that you had with Paul Schrader around that and also the actual dialogue that you had um, with Woody Harrelson because the way that the two of you play off each other in that film is quite wonderful. Do you know, I can't remember any conversations with Paul Schrader, <laughs> apart from, um, yeah, no, I'm sorry to disappoint, but I can't come up with anything. That was shot in the Isle of Man. <laughs> that was Washington, <laughs> the Isle of Man. It's hilarious. Um, anyway, uh, but working with, with Woody Harrelson was quite something. And also I was pretending to be American, which is always a bit sticky. It makes me quite uncomfortable pretending to be American. I'm better at it now, um, but in the beginning it was very difficult. But Paul was, um, you know, he was a very, very technical director. So he wouldn't give me, he didn't give me, I don't think he gave me any kind of instructions about how to act it. But it would be all like we're doing the coverage and this is how we're going to do this, and you just put the camera there, and we're going to do this now, and I've got to do this again, and because it was all all about the shots. It wasn't so much about how I filled them. And two of the other people that you you play opposite in that film, you've got Lily Tomlin. Yeah. Um, but also Lauren Bacall. And yeah. I just wondered, do you, <laughs> it might sound like a strange question, but do you get starstruck? Totally. Yeah, I mean, I think if you weren't starstruck by her, she'd have struck you. <laughs> 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 she, 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 she was quite something. She was fantastic. She really had a kind of a hackneyed expression, but she had such presence to her, you know, and she'd get in front of that camera and she'd be just sort of there. It was fantastic that you sort of try and pick up tips from people like that, hints. Another interesting aspect of your career um, since 2000 is that I think for many British audiences, they recognize you as much for your work in French films as they do for your, your work in English or American productions. Um, and it's also interesting to note that French cinema is much more keen to represent the lives of middle-aged women than English language cinema. Mm. Um, and, and do you feel that you've been pushed a great deal more in the majority of cases in, in your roles in French cinema? Well, yeah, I mean, no one ever asked me to do a Partir, or no one ever asked me to do I've Loved You So Long, or, or, or that funny little thing that I, um, what was it called? Uh, I can't remember the title of it, but no one's ever asked me to play those roles in English. Never, ever, ever. Um, so I don't know whether they just don't make those stories, or I, I, don't, know, I don't know what the, the, the cause is, but it's true. I mean, I've had a, a fantastic variety of characters to play in French that I hadn't had in English. I mean, I may go from strict and mean in um, Nowhere Boy to strict and mean in a posh country house, but it's some, you know, it got to a point where it was like that. Now it's, it's ironed itself out again. Now there's more variety, but there was a period when I was really quite, quite sort of disappointed by what I was being asked to, invited to do in English, um, and much more excited by what I was being asked to do in, in French. Um, uh, contre toi, I don't know what contre toi, the, the Lola Doyon film, I don't know what that was called in English. Um, but anyway, 
Do you feel that you've become more fearless in the way that you approach roles? Thinking about working with Catherine Corsini on Leaving in 2009, which is an extraordinary performance. And it's, it's a tough but emotionally powerful thing to watch. Um, yeah, I think I... Fearless. Um, I think I was probably... I, I sort of threw myself into things before, whereas now I'm, I, th I think I, I'm, I'm more aware of what I can and can't do. Um, so I'm perhaps not, not quite as fearless, but, or perhaps I, perhaps I choose my fears <laughs> with, um, with, with more care, perhaps. I think um, there's nothing more exciting than something that's impossible. But um, I, don't, I, I don't know. I, don't, I can't really answer your question. With, with that in mind, do you, do you find that you're an actor who is satisfied with the roles you play, or do you always feel that it's almost this work in process that you, you could continue and continue with developing a character? Also? Well, I feel, I feel that what, what we do as actors, what, what, my, what my job is, is to go onto the set in the morning and provide the director with a, with a kind of variety of ways to build this character. Because my job is to sort of give him the raw material to make his thing that he'll do later. That's, what, that's how I feel that it is. And, um, and that's what I like to do. So I like, like it to be quite loose. Um, so I'm, so if, if he says that, oh, that's great, thank you very much, I'm fine with that. You know, I, I'm, because I don't have this kind of, oh, no, but I'm sure this character... And that's not quite true. That's not quite true, because sometimes there are cases um, when I'm absolutely convinced that this character would be that way. For example, in that film, I was very obsessive about that film, in that, that role. I, I, I really wanted to be the way I wanted, and I didn't want it to be the way he wanted. Um, and I don't know who won, because um, because you know you had because because I say you give different different sort of variations on things, and I think it's a problem in the in the editing sometimes, because a number of editors have said to me, God, it's, you know you must try and do the same thing a bit more often, try and repeat things, because you know. So Philip, Philip Claudel must have been happy with your performance because you worked with him on another yes, film. Yes, and I did another film with him. Yeah. Um, avant l'hiver. Um, yeah. I don't know, if that, has that been released here? No, it hasn't. No, it no. hasn't. No. Something that is incredibly fascinating about your work, and, and we could look at I've Loved You So Long or, or Patir Leaving as an example, you bring humor to almost every character that you play, um, a very slight humor, and obviously, no one is ever serious for the entirety of their life. But when we're watching a film, there are certain films where we just watch serious people and nothing else. And it struck me that you go back to your early work, Handful of Dust, and it's, I just get this sense that in the process of your preparing for a role and performing, that there's a, this element of you that has to bring a levity, no matter how, dark a role may be. Yeah, I think the darker, the more you've got, you, there needs to be some somewhere in there that there's a sort of, um, like a pressure cooker, there needs to be somewhere where the, the pressure is taken off a bit. Um, and I think that happens a lot through, through a twinkle or a wit or some kind of sense of humor. I mean, that's what I look for actually, in part, in a role. You've got to be able to find where you're going to be able to connect um, to have fun, because there has to be fun in there. I mean, Fiona was quite fun-loving. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Fiona. It's really sad. I, I ask that because um, one of the scenes I've always wondered about in The English Patient, uh, when you and Rafe are underneath the bleachers, and you're quite close to a beam, and you turn around and smack your head on the beam. And I just wonder, was that agreed upon with Anthony, or was well, that one of those Star Trooper moments in Star Wars where he can't quite find the answer? <laughs> no, no, this was, that was in the book. 
I think it was in the book. I, I sometimes have trouble remembering what was in the screenplay and what was in the book, and, and so do does everyone who made that film. Sometimes Michael said to me, you know, sometimes I, I think I wrote that, but actually Anthony wrote it. Um, so what, that was in the thing. And then um, Anthony wanted to cut it, and Saul Zantz and I were absolutely insistent that, no, 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 she must. She must walk off with great dignity and then hit her head on the, on the thing. Um, and that, that's one moment that I absolutely love in that film. It's those sort of moments where things go wrong and things don't aren't don't happen the way they're supposed to happen um, for the character. That those are the things that attract me to to, um, to to different roles. And this is what one of the reasons why I love the role of Mimi in Sam Taylor Johnson's Nowhere Boy. It's that at first we have this very austere character. Um, she has a cracking sense of humour. Oh, yes, yeah, she does, doesn't she? Yeah. Um, she's she's pretty mean. Um, I can't remember. He did all right in the end, John Lennon. Yes, he did, didn't he? <laughs> um, but that was the, actually that's the only other character I've ever played who actually existed. I had to listen to her a lot, and then I, and I got complaints, complaints because I didn't have a Liverpudlian accent. But she doesn't have an Liverpudlian accent. She has a something something else. She came from North Wales, um, which is obviously near Liverpool, but it wasn't um, sort of Scouse or is that Scouse? Is Liverpool Scouse? Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, so. Uh, yeah, no, I really enjoyed playing that part. It's a good part to get your teeth into. Because you can, you can be sort of um, punchy, and at the same time, there's a sort of, you can see the cracks sometimes. I like being able to see the cracks. In a, when I'm watching a film, I like being able to think, oh, but I saw something else that no one else has seen. Because if, you, if you're watching a film and you can identify with a character and you can see the, the weaknesses and you can see the, the wobbly bits and the bits that don't quite match up, then you feel that you own that character as, a, as an audience member. You, you, you're sort of, you know, I saw that, I recognize that. I like that. I like watching that. And so I like being able to act that too. Yeah, one of the key scenes in, in Nowhere Boy that a lot of people talked about at the time is the huge argument that takes place between you and Anne-Marie Duff's character, John Lennon's mother. Um, and what's so interesting about that is it's not just about the words that are spoken the body language mm. of both characters in that scene is quite extraordinary. Um, and the physicality, not just the way that both of you look, but the way that you both hold yourselves in that scene. Uh, how much time did it take to, to work that entire sequence? It was then? quite a complicated sequence to work out because it was very high emotion. Um, and then you, you keep tripping up when you've got, I mean, there's such high emotion in a, in a very small confined space. Seamus Mugabe was um, DP and, um, and I remember him with this sliding thing. and I remember it, we were all crammed into this really tiny set. And um, so it was quite complicated to work out. And I think she, doesn't she, she lifts her arms or something. And, and that is simply because of the space, because this, the room is so small. And the chairs and the fire and the knickknacks and the, everything was so kind of invasive that you kind of protect your... I don't know. That's what happened. That's how that happened. It wasn't decided before. It just sort of happened. Um, and then invariably, when you're me, you get you're all at the end of the day when there's no time left. <laughs> so it all has to be done very, very quickly. Um, so that's how that happened. At the other end of a scale to, to the lighter moments of Nowhere Boy, is your extraordinary performance as Crystal in Nicholas Wine and Records, Only God Forgives. Extraordinary. Mm. It's <laughs> amazing. Um, I, I saw it at a um, public screening cinema in London, and this very old woman, must have been in her late 80s, obviously a fan of yours, came out white as a sheet oh, and just heard her say, well, she's off my dream dinner party list. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I... I I'd heard that you were fascinated by the person who would want you to play exactly. that role. Exactly, yes. Well, I met Nicholas, and um, I hadn't seen Drive, because hadn't, hadn't, uh, Drive hadn't been released. I saw um, oh, the film about the, the man in prison. Oh, um, Bronson. Bronson, which I loved. Mm. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And Valhalla Rising and Pusher, and I was just fascinated by this strange, strange film storyteller. Anyway, the stories are extraordinary. Um, 
And then he'd written this, this screenplay about this, this family in Bangkok and wanted me to play this part, which is so far away from Sylvia McCordell or Brenda Last, or and it was the absolute opposite end. And, um, and, he, and then it was supposed to be an English boy actor playing my son. And then it became Ryan Gosling. So I said, well, what are we going to do? And he said, well, you have to be American. <laughs> so that's how that happened. <laughs> and anyway, I had such fun. Oh, God, it was fun. It was, it, yeah, it was great. Again, another um, more recent fun role that you've played. And, and you mentioned earlier about the uh, recent role, Sally Potter yeah. on The Party. Yeah. Um, it looks like you're having a ball. Yes, we are. We are. I'm actually going to go and finish, finish it um, because it, it's too short. So they need to add on a bit for television or something. So on Friday, we're going to go to do 10 more minutes. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That, but this is the sort of thing I love doing. You know, we made this film. It, it took us 12 days, 12 days to make it, or 13, 13 maybe, 13 days to make the film. There were, I don't know, seven actors, I think we were. Um, Bruno Gantz. I mean, I've never made a film with Bruno Gantz, and now I have, and it's fantastic. And, and, and it was just, it was such a challenge. And saying these words, which I think are... I, was re I really liked the screenplay. I thought it was brilliant. And I, when I read it first, I immediately thought she wanted me to play April, you know, the sarcastic one. Um, and, and I said, well, you know, you know, I know you want me to play a April. And she said, no, 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 I was hoping you'd play Janet. And so I thought, oh, well, hang on, let's have another look. And um, so that's how that happened. But I love making films like that. That's, how, that's where I'm happiest, you know, super urgent, a huge sense of urgency. A, you know, with other actors, lots of people who've worked on, it sounds a bit weird, but people who work on stage have a great feeling of how to work together. And I find sometimes working on film that that is a bit of a lonely job, working on film sometimes. You know, when your acting partner is um, having his nails done or something, while, you know, you're, you've got to stand with a bit of blue gaffer for eyes. Sometimes that's a little bit disheartening. The last few years, as, as you said, you've taken um, on so many different kinds of roles, but at the same time, you're looking to direct your first film. Mm. What yeah. made you decide to do that? Well, um, a number of things. I, I think after a while, you start just wanting to act every other part as well, and wanting to move the camera, and just wanting, just wanting to be in charge, and wanting to make them move faster, and I don't, I, is that a reason to make a film? I don't know. Um, the desire to tell the story my way, I think, is why I want to make a film, and I have a story that I want to tell, and it's proving extremely difficult um, to find the funds to make this film because it's, it's, um, anyway. Yeah. And what was it about Elizabeth Jane Howard's novel? It's a very complex story um, about two grown-ups who um, are at a dead end and who are, who have their life turned around by somebody very young and seemingly innocent who um, just shows them a sort of, gives them clarity. Um, and they're very wrapped up in their own grief. And this girl's grief will then show them that they, have, they can move on. So this story is the one that I've been chewing on for a long, long time. Um, and this is, what I this, is what, this is the story I want to tell right now. It's interesting that, that I've, around the time that the film was announced, you quoted Sidney Pollock, um, who said that actors make naturally good filmmakers, mm. which um, I think... He's, ways... not the, he's not the only one who's said yeah. that to me either. Roman said that to me as well. Um, and I find that very encouraging, as both of them have worked with me as well. So, I want to come up to the most recent film that you've worked on, uh, Darkest Hour, which opened to great acclaim at the Toronto Film Festival. And again, it's another relationship um, that we're looking at, and what discussions did you have with 
the director, Joe Wright, um, and, what, and what were your own feelings about playing Clementine Churchill? Because it strikes me the film is trying to reposition her as so many women should be in, in stories as an integral and important part of history and not someone who should just be sidelined. Yeah. Uh, it's not the first time I've been asked to play Clementine Churchill. Um, and when I heard Joe Wright was... Joe Wright wanted to talk to me about something, and then I found out it was about Churchill. My sort of heart sank because I thought, oh God, yet another, you know, in the background. Have you done your, have you had your, you know, have you got your coat, darling? This kind of thing. You know, I was just not, yeah, no. Anyway, so I read it, and, 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 and to, to be honest, in the beginning, I, I said to Joe, you don't, you don't need, you don't need, I don't need, we don't need each other for this, you know. Um, let's find something else to work on. And, um, and then he came and he persuaded me and I said, okay, I'll have another look. And, and then, and I just felt that the, the role as it was written, it, it, it was exactly that problem. It, it was, you, you, to, to understand this man, you have to be able to see in his own emotional turmoil, his, his conscience. And the best place to show his conscience is in his, in his marriage with this incredibly intelligent, strong woman. Who, was, who knew him backwards, um, and who was unafraid of him. Well, it was afraid of him and unafraid of him at the same time, complicated. Um, and I, I felt very strongly that, you mean, we should develop this a bit more and learn a little bit more about her, and, and, and that she shouldn't just be sort of waving me off in, uh, to the office in the, in the morning or getting cross with him, or um, that there was much more to her. And indeed, there's much, much, much more to her. Um, and I would love it if somebody decided to do something on her, I would definitely beg for that part. Um, but I, I really wanted to work with Joe, and and working with Gary was such a revelation. Um, he, he is absolutely extraordinary in this film. Um, but anyway, I'm sure more will be said about that. <laughs> it's a beautiful relationship, the way it's communicated and then conveyed in that film. Um, could you talk a little more about working with Gary? Um, yes, I can. I, it, it, it was quite... The transformation was absolutely extraordinary. When I first met Gary Oldman, I didn't meet Gary Oldman, in fact. I met Winston Churchill, because he walked in in the, fir the first rehearsal, the first time he ever introduced himself to everybody. He was in full Churchill gear, costume, makeup, everything. They'd done a test just before. And people stood up. <laughs> it was quite impressive. And the way he moves and the way he... He, he, he was just extraordinary. And, and Gary just sort of dissolved into this skin. Um, and so I don't feel that I... I sort of... Part of me is bluffed by the whole thing and thinks, well, perhaps I didn't work with Gary Oldman. I just worked with Winston Churchill's sort of <laughs> ghost or something. I don't know. Um, but it was, it, he is extraordinarily generous and, and patient and, you know, because I don't know how many hours of makeup he'd had to have every day, but it was quite something. Um, and I'd always arrive and grumble about, you know, having to spend 10 extra minutes in the chair before <laughs> the usual. And, um, and, and then I realized that I had really ought to shut up about things like that. And, um, and he, he was... He'd let, he'd let me discover things. He'd, he, we'd rehearsed quite a lot before, before we got onto the set, which was, before, you know, before, in the beginning, we had four weeks rehearsal, which was a huge luxury, um, and which was really well invested. Um, and he, we, it, was just, it was just so easy acting with him. It, just sort of do it, and it kind of worked. I mean, he believed I was cat, and I believed he was pig, and that was it. And it was a sort of unspoken rule that we were, that that's, that's who we were. And I never saw him out of Winston's suit. And I don't, I don't think he never saw me out of Clemmy either. So it was like Clemmy and Churchill. It's interesting you say that uh, about the rehearsal period because watching the film, you do get a sense the two of you, in a way, are riffing off each other. Mm. It's just this, this. There's no, I mean, it was all written. Yes. It was all, it's all very, very written. So it was very clever writing by Anthony McCartan. But, um, but you do, you get a sense of sort of liveliness and a, there's a kind of, there's a, a joy in there that um, sometimes is, is difficult to dig out. But the looks actor. aren't written. 
And this is something about yeah. your work. I could pick a scene from I've Loved You So Long um, before she arrives back for her birthday party, um, where Juliet is just sat alone in a bar drinking. And mm. we see a wealth of emotions passing across your face. Mm. Mm. And that, that's some, it's beyond the script. It's, it's just something that's quite remarkable that you do that happens in the moment. Um. Thank you. Don't know what to say. <laughs> let's, let's, let's turn to the audience and see if they have anything to say at this point in time. Congratulations on an amazing body of work. Thank you. Um, thank you. My question is, you, you mentioned earlier that you've become aware of what you can do and what you can't do. Could mm. you elaborate on that a bit? And what would be your dream roles as well? <laughs> I'd like to be a... I'd, like, I'd love to do a comedy, a proper comedy. I, I really want to do more things like salmon fishing and things like that. Um, I, I, I'm, not, I'm never, I'm, I'm not so sure I'm good at being evil. Oh, I think you make Am a I? great Bond villain. <laughs> I just, trust me. I always feel such a fraud when I'm being evil, but then perhaps, <laughs> anyway, um, I do like, I'd like to play more comedies. I'd like to be able to do more more of the one-liners, I'd like to be able to nail them. I like sending through, nailing lines. I like that, enjoy that a lot. But I'm a very, I, I really like, I like filmmaking. I like being with crews. I like stepping over tracks. I like standing on marks. I like, imp, you know, impossible positions. That, that kind of thing, it's, that's what I like doing. I love the sort of impossibility of it, as I said earlier, I think. Um, I love the difficulty, the, the yeah, all the sort of technical stuff. I love that. That's, that's, that's what I enjoy about filmmaking, rather than the acting part, I think. I mean, I, I do, of course I love the acting part, but it's, they go hand in hand and, you know. Thank you. We've got someone at the top there. What about a Marvel superhero? That would be good. Oh, no. Really? No, no, no. That would Not mean the green out. screen. No, no, I've never done any green screen. I'd like to do some green screen. I think I have done green screen once. Um, but I've never really done it you know, properly. Um, I think I quite enjoy that. I used to be awfully good at mime. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, no, I, I, I couldn't bear having makeup and things like that. That would drive me insane. Um, so I don't think I'd be very good at being green or red or having strange things. But do they, anyway, I don't really, I don't, I don't, I haven't really watched any of those Marvel films. Marvel, not Marble. <laughs> I haven't ever watched any of those, so I wouldn't know. Uh, wonderful performances in Darkest Hour and especially The Party. Thank you. Um, you touch a subject that I'm just a bit baffled by, it, that you mentioned that, I mean, I saw The Party is perfect, the script is fine. I didn't feel anything lacking. Now you're mentioning that for the television version, they expect another 10 minutes adding. Yep. And is it Sally's idea or Capuchin's ideas? You know, those are the, that's the mystery of the producers. I don't really know about that. But all I know is that we've got on Friday, I'm giving a press conference. Um, and I'm very excited about it because it means I get to work with Sally again. And I mean, I get to play that character again, who is giving all the reasons for the furore outside her front door. Um, and it will be reminiscent of um, Theresa May's recent um, speech with cough drops. And, um, and I'm going to have a ball, so I'm looking forward to it. But I, I can't really give you the proper, real reason, because I'm an actress. And I tend to stay away from, from those, um, those kind of production problems. Yes, just behind. Yes, so I recently saw The Party. And uh, I drew a lot of parallels between uh, the party and Gosford Park, you know? There's a party where everything goes wrong. Did you see that connection somewhere? Do you know, you are the first person to have suggested that, and I think you're probably right. Um, but I'd never thought of it. But yeah, it's true. It's a party that goes horribly wrong. But I think that's a theme of, of quite a lot of films, isn't it? Parties that go horribly wrong, plays, films. I've just seen Festen on stage in um, an adaptation of the film Festen on stage in France. It works brilliantly as a play as well, so it works both ways. I want to ask you about Ludovic Bernard's film Au bout des doigts, which is where I'm a little bit en retard here in England as far as French cinema is concerned. I was wondering if you'd tell us a little bit about it. 
Well, I've just finished shooting it. Um, it's about a young boy who has an extraordinary talent for playing the piano and is discovered, and I play, um, and he's very sort of, uh, doesn't want to go to lessons, he doesn't want to exploit this talent, and I try and coax it out of him, and I'm his wicked, but at the end, kind um, piano teacher. And I enjoyed every minute of it. I absolutely loved it. It was great. Playing, playing the pretend piano is one of my 40s now. <laughs> Directly in front. I was wondering if you could say um, a little bit more about the, uh, what the process was like working with Prince and if there was anything kind of um, uh, unusual or memorable that happened on set. Well, lots of unusual things. For a start, he fired the director after two weeks and said, um, rang me up in the middle of the night one day and said, hello, Mary has been fired. I'm now going to be the director. <laughs> Which was, well, you know, what, you know goody, okay. <laughs> um, so I turned up to work, and it was just so. It was extraordinary ha having a film with somebody who was so important in the world, I guess, um, and in show business, and for Warner Brothers, and everyone was fawning, and we were twenty-three. It was a bit, a bit mad, really. Was there a lot of hoopla around? Oh God, yes! Shooting? It was unbelievable. Yeah. Like, you know, you couldn't get, you had police cordons and you couldn't get, you couldn't get onto, they had to make sure no one was coming on and you had to shoot at funny times and funny places and it was, it was, it was a huge thing, all in the south of France, um, which is why I was hired. The only reason why I was hired was because I could speak English and was local. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some things they work like that. <laughs> And please tell me you just... Oh, and who else? And Terence Stamp left. Le and who was, was it? it Stephen Burkhoff took Stephen over. Stephen Burkhoff took over. Yeah. And Terence Stamp, after three days of rehearsal, said, right, I'm out of here. <laughs> and <laughs> left. <laughs> and Stephen Burkhoff turned up. And he was my dad. So it was, yeah, I mean, it was, it was fun. But please tell me you just got free tickets to Prince concerts for the next... Forever. Days, yeah, Good. I've seen him play many, many times. It was always extraordinary. I, I have to say, he gave me my first job. I will never forget that. And he remained a great supporter, came to see me in The Seagull, loved I've Loved You So Long, wrote a song about it. You know, it was all pretty fantastic. So, and he was my, you know, he was the first person to give me a job. What song? It's called Better With Time, and you can find it on the, on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've got time for one more question. Someone right at the very back. Well, we're, the microphone's yeah. been passed across. Um, it's a horrible thing to pin an actor oh down, God. especially someone with so many roles. But if you had to take away one role and you, that you would keep with you. Oh, that's awful. That's being nice to choose a child. Um, uh, um, well, wow, that was a look I got. Just no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, but it, it's that's really, really, really hard. I, the one I, I do have an extraordinary attachment to this Romanian film yeah. that no one's seen, which is useful. Um, but because I, I was so proud of of actually just just doing it, you know, getting up and going to Romania where I knew no one, where I knew no one on the set. I was all on my own. I was the only non-Romanian person there. Um, and just sort of got on with it and did my own and my, my own hair and makeup because there wasn't anyone else to do it and and just sort of got on with it and 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 played this role in a foreign language with the director who kept telling me I was too ugly to be, <laughs> so I was a your television actress <laughs> that was that you know and go home um, he didn't like me very much but then in the end he did like me and 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 the film was is is a really beautiful film that I'm really really proud of. So I think perhaps I'd take that one, because it's not too big as well. I can put it in a little bag. <laughs> yes. Hi. Um, oh, hello. Hi. Where I was wondering about the As You Desire Me play that you were in all the, uh, in the West End, the Pirando, Pirandello play. I saw you on stage then, and I remember thinking that was a very challenging role to play. I just wonder if you could tell me a bit more about how you prepared for that role. Thank um, you. Uh, well, I had a lot of lines to learn. Um, so the preparing was mostly just learning lines um, and learning how to sing, but sing in a certain way. 
Um, and and that, that's what is great about working in the theatre, is you've got this rehearsal period. Is, um, it's just uh, this sort of what I prefer, really, is rehearsal. But anyway, the, the thing that was the challenging thing in that role was this is a woman who kept forgetting everything. And she, kept, and she would talk in circles, and she'd get to the end, almost, she'd get to the middle of her thought, and then forget what the end was supposed to be. So she'd have to go back to the beginning. And people kept sort of complaining that I'd forgotten my lines. <laughs> there are a lot of complaints to the, um, to the theater about that. She doesn't have her lines. <laughs> the Darkest Hour, or Darkest Hour even, opens on the 12th of January next year, and I, I cannot begin to recommend how superb a film it is, as well as um, Kristen Scott Thomas's and Gary Oldman's performance. Uh, thank you very much to BAFTA for organizing this event, but most of all, can you please join me in thanking Dame Kristen Scott Thomas. Thank you.